0: Central. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or, of course, Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 902. I'm joined by our editor, Niall Kitson, as always, talking this week about airlines being grounded thanks to 5G, Microsoft's huge games announcement during the week, and how credit unions are getting into the digital market. But first, Niall, Irish YouTube. We hear about YouTubers making, there was a list of YouTubers who are making like 32 million a year or something like that. Obviously, the exception to the rule. Um, There's an interesting story this week about how much an Irish YouTuber needs to make the national minimum wage.
1: Yeah, this is a fantastic story because we do hear an awful lot about sort of the the uber tier, the god tier YouTubers that are bringing in millions and having, you know, the Lamborghinis and, you know, the the lifestyles and all that kind of thing. Um, Well, now we're finally getting a little bit of clarity. Um, So uh, this is data that was released earlier this week. And it showed um, roughly how many views you need to get to reach the average minimum wage, which in Ireland was listed as just under 33,000. Okay, that's the minimum okay. wage. That's that's the the average wage. Oh, it's the average, average, wage. average. It's the right. wage. It's not the minimum wage. It's not the minimum wage. It's the average wage. Okay, okay, very important distinction. So, um, if you if, if you were to make YouTubing as your job, to make being a YouTuber as your job, and hope to get a reasonable living out of it, how many times would you need? How many views would you need per year to actually make it? And that's including, you know, revenue from. You know, all all the pre-roll ads, all that kind of thing. So would you care to hazard a guess?
0: I'm going to uh, go very uh, Mike Myers on this and go one million dollars. You are so far off the pace. Really? I would say a million views. And actually, at a million views, I'm kind of thinking that's almost near impossible for an Irish YouTuber because we are a country of four, maybe five million people. So that means you Mm. want to be hitting like 20% of the population
1: uh, with your videos. Anyway, one million. Obviously, I'm way too high. You would want to be hitting 9.4 million.
0: Tumbleweed Tumbleweed <laughs> there's nothing wrong Tumble with your podcast hoodie. player that's just pure silent shock what 9 million ah, 9 million okay yeah, so now yeah. you're talking about 9 million views overall so 9 million yeah. views of all of your different videos that you yeah, do not exactly. just yeah. okay alright okay
1: now that's I mean that's still, a still lot. you know per month you would need to be getting that and in order to stay part of the YouTube affiliate program you need mm. to be bringing in a thousand new subscribers a year as well
0: 1, new, well, look, if, if you do 9 million views, you're going to be bringing in 1,000 new subscribers a year. Anyways.
1: <laughs> so the interesting thing is Ireland came in at 7th, right? Okay. Number one was Liechtenstein, mm-hmm. where the net average annual salary is 50, we'll call it 59,000. Mm-hmm. So you would need 16,700,000 views on YouTube in order to make the... Uh, the uh, national minimum wage annual salary
0: yeah all right and you're talking there in Ireland 32,000 let's round it up to 36 for the sake of argument which is 3 grand a month and that's before tax
1: yeah
0: yeah i mean 3000 euro a month for all of the time and the sweat and the equipment and the everything that goes into making a program like that
1: yeah. So you're really, you're going to have to look at things like endorsements and product placements and that sort of thing. And your, your extracurricular activities mm-hmm. like, you know, fashion labels and, you know, market, licensing out your name, all this sort of thing. That's, right. that's, that's where the money is. Or if you're certain YouTubers that I'm not even going to mention, you know, a second career as a fighter or something right. like that.
0: Well, I think I'm not going to go into YouTubing then. I'll stay here as a podcaster with your good self because uh, I definitely have a face for radio. And the less said about that, the better. Uh, let me get into, uh, you know, I'm an aviation nerd uh, and I love yeah. all things. I'm watching this story in the States. Very, very interesting how they're trying to introduce 5G, um, but it's being held back because the airlines and the airports are going, no, 5G is going
1: to bring all the planes down. This is not the story that I thought it was going to be, because I thought this was going to be like one step away from like chemtrails and this sort of thing that, you know, the total wingnut conspiracy. Mm theory stuff but there, there there is actual merit to the story um fill us in There is a little bit of
0: merit to the story. Uh, 5G, right, works in what's called C-band, which is between 3.7 and 4.2 gigahertz. Just remember 3.7 and 4.2, right? They call it kind of a a Goldilocks band because you're able to get a really fast speed on that, but wide coverage at the same time. So you don't need a billion transmitters and and all that kind of stuff. Um, Hmm. However, it's not cheap. Verizon and AT&T in the States have spent nearly $70 billion acquiring the licenses just to do 5G. Then they have Hmm. the technical cost of the rollout and stuff like that. So, there's really, really, really big money in this, okay? And of course, then, you've got the airline industry, where there is really, really, really big money in it as well. Now, uh, 5G works on 3.7 to 4.2 aircraft altimeters, okay, which is a key part of the aircraft, which tells you how high you are above the ground. That works between 4.2 and 4.4. So, it's just above the area where 5G is. And, This whole war is going on between the the FCC and the States and the FAA, um, where they're kind of saying, yes, but what if there's a little bleed over as a plane is coming into land and it's incorrectly saying that you're at, you know, a thousand feet when you're actually at 200 feet? And you might think the pilot, you might think that the pilot would know, but if you are mm. in bad weather conditions and bearing in mind that a lot of plans are able to auto land, okay, so mm. literally they will land on their instruments and touch the wheels on the ground and the whole thing without the pilot intervening. That's how airports are, that's how aircraft are able to land at foggy airports.
1: So in order, let me come up with a, a, a rubbish analogy. You're, we're scanning the, the radio band and there's space between channels. Mm -hmm. What they're saying in the States is that when it comes to 5G and instruments on planes, there is no gap between the channels. Kind of, yes. The band of channels Mm -hmm. are are right beside
0: each other. Now, the reason we haven't heard this problem in the EU is because in the EU, the C band is between 3.4 and 3.8, which means that there is a gap between the two uses of frequency. Right. OK. OK. Uh, also, then, for safety, uh, what they've done in Canada and what they are doing in France is they are using lower power um, 5G uh, transponders in airports mm-hmm. or around airports. Uh, and they're also making sure that the frequencies used around airports are at the lower end of the scale. So they're away from that 4.2 where the uh, uh, the planes use.
1: Right. So there's a lot of power management involved there as well.
0: It, yes. Technically, this whole thing, I, I don't know why it's blowing up. Uh, I think that it is uh, some kind of a power struggle between the FCC and the FAA. Uh, uh, there's billions of dollars at stake and um, it, it's something to do with that. It's certainly not so a technical problem. Is, is this problem.
1: not something that should have been, you know, hashed out at the, the infrastructure stage, at the yeah, at the concept yeah, 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 stage? absolutely.
0: But, you know, kind of a, one party has obviously just bailed ahead and gone with it. And now the other party is hmm. going, well, you must stop so on and so forth you should go to the courts (laughs) and you'll find lots of stories like that be a court (laughs) reporter for a while listen uh, moving on to our our last story of the week uh, Microsoft now I want to ask you about this because you're a gamer Uh, Microsoft have bought Activision Blizzard for an incredible amount of money uh, and it's really uh, affected the value of Sony as well
1: Well, yeah. And uh, this is this is a story that has run and run since last July. Right. So Microsoft made its largest acquisition ever in buying Activision Blizzard. So they're forking out 68.7 a billion, Mm -hmm. a billion uh, dollars to take on 10,000 employees, 30 studios um, and some household names like World of Warcraft, Diablo and Call of Duty. Uh, and of course, they've also got, they're bringing in 400 million active users of those particular games as well. So mm. absolutely staggering numbers. Um, however, and this is where, uh, this is why the acquisition was made now, Um it is due to activision blizzard undergoing a series of controversies at the moment kind mm-hmm. of back to back they're being sued in california over effectively a toxic culture of sexual harassment that has existed at the company for quite a long time okay at the same time there are also efforts to unionize the uh, the workforce Uh, Activision Blizzard saying you don't want faceless unions looking after you what you want is direct dialogue between yourself and your managers Mm. if there's anything wrong Mm. Uh, which is just you know a nicely worded way of saying we will crush you individually (laughs) because we can't crush you as easily as a group (laughs) (laughs) give it to the man there now (laughs) yeah Uh, and so far you know Activision Blizzard have also said that look we know we had a problem with harassment in the past We've let go 37 people outright because of their conduct. It was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. We reprimanded an additional 40. You know, we, we accept that there's a problem in our culture. We're working on it. Um, and of course, the CEO, Bobby Kotick, made the cardinal error in industry, which you like to bring up from time to time, misled the investors over the depth of the problem. This is, this is, this is the scuttlebutt, you know, that uh, the lines of communication between the investors and management were not good or certainly were not as mm. good as it should be, which all combined to bring down the value of Activision Blizzard by quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they themselves might have lost 20 billion in value. C- certainly the share price took a knocking of 20 cents mm. Um Uh, per which made it may which made it worth quite an attractive uh, acquisition prospect hence why Mm. microsoft swooped in but also in the process of making this purchase they have wiped out 20 billion dollars off the value of its nearest competitor sony well, In there the you gaming go. Yeah, well that's, that's, that's just accounting,
0: really, isn't it? Uh, let me ask you one last question, then, because that, all of that is interesting, all right? And I mm. certainly do not want to uh, put down the problems that people are having working within that company, okay? Mm. Yeah. But that's all their worry, okay? It's nothing to do with you or I, okay? You or I are the end consumer and the gamer. Do you yeah. think Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard and having such a huge
1: stake in the games marketplace? Is that a good thing? Um, That is an excellent question because competition is good for innovation. And when you have one company uh, effectively ruling, well, I would say ruling the roost, but, you know, uh, ruling over potentially so much of the industry to the point where the only AAA titles are being developed either under Microsoft's watch or Sony's. Um, that's certainly bad for the diversity of games out there mm. and potentially reducing opportunities in the industry mm. because there are a lot of practices in the gaming industry that are not popular, in particular um, things called crunching, which is effectively working to a ridiculous deadline and pushing in ridiculous hours in order to make it. And we saw what happens when it when it goes bad with... Um, the Cyberpunk game, Cyberpunk Mm. 2077, which is still in a disastrous state. It just wasn't ready for launch. And part of it was due to the fact that, you know, developers were just made crunch, crunch, crunch up until... The delivery date and then the assumption was made that we'll be able to patch it on the fly thereafter and Mm. it hasn't worked out that way at all so i think it's it's bad it's good for microsoft it will squash competition it will also give them the chance to go okay well maybe we won't call of duty to be a microsoft only title uh which would be Mm. you know huge for them so i think it's bad for the industry and maybe Uh, not so good for for consumers And not good for consumers, ultimately. Listen, we will
0: uh, leave it there. Niall, thank you, as always, for bringing us up to date with the news. There aren't many instant no-question wins in business, but here's one. Magnet Talk from Magnet Plus. Magnet Talk sends your phone calls over your broadband connection. Users can work anywhere. Calls are carried via any computer or smartphone. And your number need never change. All amazing, but this is incredible. We'll give you Magnet Talk completely free for six months. Why free? Because we know you'll never want to return to your old phone system. Magnet Talk. See everything it offers at magnetplus.ie. Terms and conditions apply. Nothing crazy. Promise. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central. You might not think credit unions are at the forefront and the bleeding edge of digital transformation, but they have been hard at work modernising for the last 15 years, and now they are getting into mobile in a big way. Niall Kitson uh, spoke to Wellington IT CTO Ian Glenn during the week about his company's work delivering big bank customer services to more community-based operations.
1: Ian, when it comes to the credit union, there is this sense that, you know, it's the small office in the small town. It doesn't have that same profit motive as the big banks. And it it has its own sort of character that's very different to other financial institutions. Um, And, you know, at the risk of exposing my urban bias, maybe even a a little bit stuffy for it. In your own research into credit unions, did you find this perception kind of held up or was it something that was completely different? dismantled? I think it it
2: did hold up Um, and uh, so in a a recent survey that we've carried out uh, across a range of members of credit unions and non-members of credit unions for that matter um, uh, the message was quite clear now in that uh, credit unions were highly rated in terms of being trustworthy offering value for money uh, and exceptional customer service that they win awards for But what we equally found was that 61% of the people who we questioned didn't even realize that credit unions offered online services and 71% of those uh, didn't realize that there was mobile services and mobile apps available. Um, And this is despite actually the digital transformation starting within credit unions, probably about 15 years ago, um, uh, albeit uh, at that stage, some quite rudimentary, basic online transactional type services, but um, uh, a really polarized view there of um, high service delivery, um, but an expectation that kind of resonates with your question that says, look, we, we don't expect that of a credit union. Yeah. Um, and really what we were trying to dig into was, well, why why is that? Yeah. And uh, if those services either are available or could become available, uh, would you avail of them? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and how would they help you as members um, differentiate between the services that you may get from some of the, the larger pillar banks?
1: So that sounds like that as a sector, it seemed to rely on a, a few champions, if you will, to actually elevate some offices while others were kind of able to either sidestep or decide, look, these new developments aren't for us. Did you find that sort of lack of joined up
2: approach? Yeah, I think there's a, there, there are differentiations in the market. Um, obviously, there's two types of credit unions now. There are community based credit unions, which are very branch network. Um, uh, centric uh, and industrial credit unions where uh, they're, they're they're covering the, uh, the, the entirety of the uh, Ireland of Ireland in most cases um, and therefore those those breed different demands both for the credit union and for the uh, particular members of those credit unions. Uh, but I think marketing also plays a big role in this um, and I think that what's happening is that many of the credit unions are uh, seeking to capitalize now on some of these services that are available um, and work uh, on engaging with their members to publicize and market the availability of these services uh, and help and support them uh, in terms of how they can use them and how they can add value from a convenience standpoint. So. Really, the, the, the major difference we've seen is probably partly in the uh, common bond demographic between community and industrials, uh, but also uh, about marketing and publication. Because uh, as the results show, it's, uh, it's an awareness here uh, that, that's primarily the issue in, in terms of members' expectations. And I
1: think members are probably becoming much more demanding, particularly over the last two years, where they have these services that they really like locally. But of course, the, that same access hasn't been there for very obvious reasons. So that I imagine there's this sort of uh, customer side demand to get more digital services, to get sort of apps in the hand, the the, the sort of things that they expect from the big banks. Uh, did you find that that sort of expectation
2: is is there now? Uh, absolutely, Niall. Uh, you know, member expectation, you know, technology has become commoditized. Um, this was particularly prevalent in our results um, for the younger demographic um, and because that's, they've grown up with the expectation that they, they, they draw parallels to the FinTechs, the N26s, and the Revoluts of this world. Uh, their, their expectation, their baseline expectation is that there's going to be an app that's going to have a full set of features available. Um, so the demand profile is changing. Um, and people are seeking convenience, yeah. um, and uh, therefore, uh, it, it moves from a nice to have to be an, a, an absolute essential. Uh, and what we're really seeing is that the age demographic plays a big role in that. Uh, but across, uh, across the, the range of profiles, um, there was a feedback from the, uh, predominantly from the members that said, if these services were available, we would use them.
1: So, I guess this brings us to the the c u mobile app credit union mobile app. Um, I imagine, you know, as with any product, there's an ongoing conversation to see what features you add, see what features you decide maybe to long finger that aren't appropriate for this product. So how did that development process begin? Did it start with that sort of grassroots um, conversation or did it come from, you know, the the wider credit unions just going, look, we, we need to keep up with the facilities that either the pillar banks or the, the new fintechs
2: are offering? Interestingly, it's a, it's a combination of different things, now, in that uh, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier that we um, have been engaged with credit unions working on digital uh, revolutions for the last about 14, 15 years. Um, so, what what we had already developed was a fairly comprehensive online banking facility for credit unions, but what, what we found through our research was that uh, they just the, there is an expectation of a mobile app. People expect to be able to go to the app store, have an app that serves a purpose. Um, so uh, one of the big drivers for us was to say, well, um, we we must have an app in the store. Uh, that app must uh, be branded, uh, and uh, you know, back to my conversation about marketing, it must you know promote the credit union yeah, and all the things that are great about the credit union. Um, but one of the other technical challenges that we needed to look at was um, the you know the actual process of ease of access right and that's that's both about you know having to navigate to a website to log in but also the actual login process itself now uh, and obviously as we build a mobile app one of the uh, the, the key requirements for us was to ensure that the uh, ability to access the app and log in quickly and easily was important uh, and therefore um, what our research shown was that if we could do that then it would make life easier for people to access their funds so that meant um, you know from the get-go we were looking at you know uh, biometrics you know be that facial biometrics uh, or fingerprint recognition in terms of just ease of access right and one of the uh, one of the reasons that that's important might sound like a baseline thing but one of the reasons it's important for the credit union sector is that when people were using the credit union online services it wasn't like their bank currently yeah, where they weren't logging in all day, every day on a regular basis. Um, And therefore, uh, having that ability to quickly and easily do that was important. So that was one big driver. Um, I guess another one is that we had started a piece of work uh, prior to the development of the app around onboarding, so um, membership application joining process. Um, so what we uh, what we decided to do was uh, connect the dots and say, well, uh, our new mobile app will allow uh, prospective members to go to one of the relevant app stores, download the app of their local credit union, uh, and they can then join uh, via the app. Yeah, and it will use. Artificial intelligence to do, you know, facial recognition. So, what you know, key features that are used by some of the fintechs allow the member to then um, uh, engage on online services as soon as they become a member, uh, immediately, right through to um, you know applying for loans online. So, you know, so the second demand here was, uh, if you're going to have an app, it needs to do everything. Okay, um, and. Th- from that point of view, that was about joining, uh, having online access, uh, being able to transfer funds, uh, apply for loans, um, uh, right through to um, you know uh, other features like electronic signatures. So, in other words, can you um, electronically sign a credit agreement without having to? visit a branch. you know. So so I suppose the big driver being that really what we wanted to do with the app was enable credit unions to attract those members who were demanding uh, online and digital services and demanding them in an easy, frictionless way um, to actually engage with a credit union that may not have been necessary on the radar before and be able to do that with, actually without ever having to step foot in a branch at all.
1: You mentioned the term frictionless there, and another preconception that you might have about credit unions is that there there are quite a lot of older members out there. To what extent did that sort of frictionless or accessibility element inform the
2: design of the app? Um I think, be, being honest, uh, we probably had uh, a few goals at this uh, to get to get to where we needed to get to um, in terms of the process. And I, I guess that's why I was uh, focusing on the login process um, initially. Uh, but what it, what it meant was that we focused in on what are the key features so we were able to use data analytics to say, well, based on people who are using our current online services, what are, what are the types of activities that they are undertaking? Um, and we could also correlate that with members who present in branch. Yeah? Uh, and what that enabled us to do was say, well, actually, what does the landing page of the app look like? Um, and uh, one of the things then that we, we we built into the app very early on was a you know a quick access type feature, you know, so a persistent uh, menu that, that sits at the bottom of the app that lets them get to key features, you know, such as their their main account uh, or apply for a loan um, uh, or uh, or in fact contact the credit union for that matter Um, and that was another key point which is how how do we build the app in such a way that we can help uh, and support the members um, and it's actually an area that we are uh, co- you know, continuing to develop. Um, we currently have a messaging portal within the app that enables the credit union to message members directly, and that'll send them a nice little push message uh, that they can then view in the app, or vice versa, the member can contact the credit union via the app. So it's basically extending the reach of that uh, excellent customer service and, and using the, the technology to enable them to do that. Um, so I would say this is an ongoing exercise, uh, I don't think the uh, the the UI UX piece is ever completed. Uh, we're already working on a, a rebranding um, of the uh, the app on our uh, on the the entire uh, landing screen um, because we think that you know as the technology moves on and as the usage of the app moves on, then it gives us an um, opportunity to to continually build on that. Um, and I think it's interesting in the credit union market is you do have a diverse, uh, demographic here um, and uh, therefore what we're doing is looking at well how uh, how do we meet all of those demands um, and one of the things that we're, we're planning to do this year is actually perform a member survey within the app uh, and allow members you know in addition to the, the app store comments and reviews and rating that they could do today but an actual in-app uh, targeted questionnaire process that helps us you know with that ongoing process of continual improvement.
1: I suppose then just to to wrap up on that point, sort of bringing together the sort of the uh, the personal experience through surveys or, you know, a slightly more dispassionate um, use through uh, through data mm. uh, and seeing the features people are actually using. Have you actually experienced it in the opposite direction where you've had a look at it and go, do you, do you know what? People really aren't using this bit over
2: here. Either we're doing it wrong or maybe we don't need it at all. I think data analytics within the app is a really interesting area, and it's one of the uh, it, it, that that is an area we have started looking at. The one of the other areas that we're looking at now as well, uh, using our business intelligence data, is to say where a member has an app, are they using it? Yeah, um, and uh, if they're using it, how does their usage of that app correlate to? Are they still presenting in branch? Yeah, and if they're presenting in branch and carrying out transactions. Can they do those online, and and how does that, how does that work? So I suppose we're looking probably slightly differently, uh, Niall, in terms of are there features in the app that aren't being used? Um, uh, we're we're probably more looking at the member who uh, has the ability to have an app from their credit union, has access to that app, uh, but isn't using it to its fullest uh, to make sure. Well, actually, is that an indicator to us uh, in terms of uh, you know a potential opportunity for either either engineering that feature uh, or promoting that feature's usage uh, through through the credit union out to the members.
0: And that was Ian Glenn, CTO of Wellington IT, chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course you can hear us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio one Extra. On to next time from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thank you for listening and have a great weekend.